Hello and welcome back. I'm your host, Scott Jordan, and it's time to set the water to boil. This is Tea Talk Asia. This week, we return to the Asian World Center and are privileged to have with us a member of Creighton University's Department of Philosophy, Dr. Patrick Murray, a respected scholar of Karl Marx. But first, while we let our tea steep, we will begin the show as we begin all shows by turning our eye to the east with a look at Asia and the headlines for the week of January 12, 2015. We begin on the island nation of Sri Lanka, where Pope Francis I begins a six-day trip to Asia this week. The Pope plans several open-air masses open to multiple faith traditions, hoping to stand against extremism and spread peace, nonviolence, and a return to faith for the region. We will have more on Pope Francis's trip in our next episode. Divers in the Java Sea have recovered the cockpit voice recorder from AirAsia Flight QZ8501 that went missing December 28th with 162 passengers. The most popular speculation is that the aircraft's malfunction was due to bad weather. 48 bodies have been recovered, most speculated to still be in the yet-unfound fuselage. In China's northwestern province of Xinjiang, six people were shot dead by Chinese authorities. The six were suspected of attempting to set off a bomb in the city of Shuli. Xinjiang is known for its large Uyghur population, a Muslim minority in China. Chinese officials claim this is yet another example of violence fueled by global extremism. U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry is in India this week, urging stronger economic ties between the two nations. Bilateral investment between the U.S. and India is estimated near 30 billion U.S. dollars. Secretary Kerry is due to speak at an investment conference in Ahmedabad this week. U.S. President Barack Obama is due to visit India later this month. Lastly, in Pakistan, classes resume at Peshawar's Army Public School following a gruesome Taliban attack on the school that took place December 16th that resulted in the deaths of 152 people, 133 of which were children, injuring over 100 others. This week, we have the distinguished honor to sit at the Asian World Center with Dr. Patrick Murray, a professor of philosophy at Creighton University. He has taught at Creighton since 1979, having served as chair of the department in that time. He completed his undergraduate work at Marquette University in physics and mathematics and earned his Ph.D. in philosophy from St. Louis University. He has also studied as a Fulbright Scholar in Frankfurt, Germany. He has published numerous articles and spoken around the world on modern philosophy, Hegel, and Marx, among many others. He has published two books, those being Marx's Theory of Scientific Knowledge and Reflections on Commercial Life, an anthology of classic texts from Plato to the present. Recently, he has traveled to China and lectured to scholars on Marx. Without further ado, we welcome Dr. Patrick Murray. Dr. Murray, thank you for joining me here today. Happy to do so. Nice yeah. to have the chance to, to talk. Yeah. And uh, so when you were in China, you were delivering a lecture on Marxism. And I'm wondering if you can kind of explain what you were doing there and, and maybe a little bit about your experience there. Well, I was there as the guest of Hohai University, which is in Nanjing. And they invited me over to uh, – it was really the school of Marxism that invited me over. And I – while I was there, I, I met with mostly faculty members, but I also gave a 
a class like a regular class, 35, 40 students. That seemed uh, very familiar uh, from, from doing that. And, uh, of course, I, I, I don't speak any Chinese, so that was in English. And, and one of the faculty members, uh, Dr. Wu Jing, she, she translated that one. And our own Dr. Yuan, uh, she was the translator for the presentation that I gave at, at Hohai University. That was, that was the, the, the formal aspects of the visit. And then while there, Dr. Wu, uh, she was uh, helpful in arranging to give a talk also at uh, Nanjing University. Yeah. So uh, one afternoon I went over there for luncheon and gave a, gave a presentation there. And what was your feeling kind of going into it, going to a country that is a communist country uh, that proclaims kind of Marxism as one of the ideologies of the government? Uh, did that feel different, I suppose? I mean, how, how would that have felt compared to, you know, because normally you're used to the United States where it's not necessarily a nationally endorsed uh, philosophy, <laughs> as it were. Right. right. Well, I, I am uh, – I've been for years kind of um, – puzzled and curious about China just from this standpoint because, you know, for, for really decades now, China has been simultaneously ruled by the Chinese Communist Party and yet developing, you know, taking a largely capitalist path of development. So just, just how do those two things go together? And then uh, – at the level of higher education and universities and so forth, my understanding, I think it's, it's right, is that, that Marxism is just something that, that uh, everybody would take in, in college. And uh, just as, you know, here we have, you know, like core curriculum. And so that means that there must be a lot of people who are in a position to teach Marxism at colleges and universities, at even just, you know, a, a kind of survey course, which I always kind of assume that's what was the, the base expectation. But I, what I really wondered about is the people who teach these courses and the people who are, you know, staffing, like almost every university now has a school of Marxism or, uh, you know, a department of Marxist philosophy, or maybe it's not philosophy, maybe it's 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 more interdisciplinary, but what are the are these people? What is their relationship really to Marxism? Is it just something that they're paid to teach, uh, or is this uh, a kind of uh, you know way of looking at the world and society that they really find engaging? That they're really that they're really pursuing? I'm also as a Westerner, uh, somebody who's you know involved in scholarship around Marx and, and, and uh, Marxian theory. Uh, I'm kind of – I was also curious as to what extent people are – in China are following these discussions and interested in that. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I went with uh, quite a bit of curiosity about all those things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And was there, uh, I guess, any uh, shocking findings, uh, maybe visually or even from students' reactions to this, uh, this, the talk you'd given? At Hohai, outside the conference room where I gave my talk to the faculty and graduate students, there was a, a hallway with four, fo- four photographs, one of uh, Karl Marx, uh, Frederick Engels, which was to be expected, 
Next was Lenin. Okay. Uh, and then finally was Joseph Stalin, which I wasn't completely surprised by because I lived in Germany and were, was at places where the Chinese-oriented Communist Party would be, you know, at demonstrations and so forth. And their flags would always have exactly those four heads on them, Marx, Engels, Lenin, and Stalin. So that was not completely surprising to me. But in the year 2013, uh, I, I guess I was a little bit surprised. By contrast, over at Nanjing University, uh, uh, outside of they, they have quite a modern and sophisticated space and facilities for the study of, uh, of Marxism, and they are studying it really on a worldwide basis. Their hallway featured photographs of all sort of the, 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 the stars of Western Marxism. Here was a shocking thing. The what I regard as the most fundamental text from Marx is is Capital. And talking with Dr. Wu at Hohai University, she says in the School of Marxism, no one teaches that book. It's also pretty clear that the courses that are taught to the ordinary student as Marxism, these are really kind of party approved. I don't know, manuals or text, you know, manuals may go too far as a description, textbooks. And, and these, would be a, these would be presenting a kind of Marxism that uh, I would consider very, uh, you know, outdated for the level of uh, scholarship today. So I'm wondering if we can kind of shift gears and talk about kind of what is the current um, discussion in Marxism, particularly in the West, maybe more on a global front, because I know that you speak with a lot of different scholars from around the world. So communism, I think, politically in, in, you know, in Western Europe, communist parties, especially in France and Italy, uh, were, you know, even well into the 70s, you know, a real political force. That's pretty much, you know, that's largely over. There are some kind of more or less left-wing social democratic or socialist parties in in Europe, and and Marx uh, may play more or less of a role there. But uh, no, I think really uh, the Marx kind of based socialism or communism is on the bigger world stage really uh, re- really receded. But oddly, uh, at, at a time where I think there's in, in you know, various quarters around the world a growing interest in, in Marx based on a kind of new, new readings of Marx, new understandings of Marx. You know, you th- here's one way to get at it. You might think with regard to the question of wealth, you, different questions you could ask. First question, how much wealth do we have? Okay. A second question would be distribution. Okay. So, okay, so let's say the GDP of the United States is $20 trillion, whatever it is. Uh, and then you say, you could ask also, like, how is that divided? 
Marx is asking a question that's not really on the radar of either classical political economy or neoclassical. It's not on much of anybody's radar. And that's what's the social form of wealth? And likewise for labor. Okay, so yes, so producing new wealth generally involves labor. But what's the idea, the very form, what's the social form of the labor? This is a, a question and raises a topic that is really, I would say, outside the horizon, not just of classical political economy and of neoclassical, but really most of what counted as Marxism traditionally, what Postone calls traditional Marxism. So traditional Marxism is thinking about labor, but Marx is thinking about the social form of labor, the social form of wealth. So his great book Capital begins with saying we're, this is an inquiry into, it's not a general inquiry about like the way economics thinks of itself as some kind of general in, inquiry as if it were a social science applicable to all places and all times. Marx is making it very clear at the beginning of Capital, no, I'm not talking in some general sense. I'm talking about societies where wealth generally takes the commodity form, labor is uh, takes the form of free wage labor, and the production process is a specifically capitalist production process, which means it's oriented toward profit, accumulation of profits, and and so forth. So what this means is that that mar- traditional Marxism, I think, has really been more uh, a matter of the question of uh, who owns what, uh, how are things distributed. Uh, they're, uh, they're, they're presently being distributed unjustly, and we need to redistribute in order to create a more just society. Maybe we call that socialist or communist society. Yeah, and it's amazing because he's speaking out of you know mid to late 1800s, and these questions still seem relevant today. So, I mean, for for most people, it's just a book that's dead, you know. Uh, but in to my mind. If you there, there's really I use I use the book rather than something from the 20th century because I I don't think there's anything any real substitute for the kind of work that Marx is doing in Capital, which is really trying to identify and explore and see the implications of these basic social forms that constitute a commercial or capitalist society. I just feel if we don't become aware of those and 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 really think in terms of those specific social forms then we're not getting out of the blocks the right way we're not getting off to the right to the right start and 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 whatever we do afterwards isn't isn't going to be on the right basis right well that's all the time we have for today so thank you very much dr murray again thank you scott ideas have a true power behind them While he didn't live to see theirs live to their fullest extent, Karl Marx is a prime example of this. Words written, a criticism of the capitalist system changed the world, changing how we think. Today, we find ourselves entirely too familiar with a different kind of thinker, the extremists. Fanatics taking the form of reformers, politicians, holy men, and men of law walk in all corners of the earth. 
They are born in and breed further fear and destruction from social repression to slaughter of atrocious proportions. Unfortunately, the worst-case scenarios of these are being seen in more rapid-fire succession day by day. Last year, the radical Boko Haram in Nigeria kidnapped women and children to be sold. In December, members of Al-Qaeda, operating under orders to kill kids, attacked a school in Pakistan, killing 133 children. And then in more recent news, it is hard not to hear the cries from Paris over the attacks on Charlie Hebdo. The response is anger, naturally, and fear, and a demand for revenge. Guns are loaded and battle strategies drawn up, but hold on, does not violence beget only more violence? And thus, we enter a Mobius script in which we eventually can't remember why we picked up our arms in the first place? This week, the distraught editors at Charlie Hebdo plan to release a cover with the image of Muhammad, the prophet of Islam. Is poking the bear really the best option the evolutionary offspit of the intelligentsia can provide? I challenge you, the listener, to really think as you watch the events unfold on the news. Why would someone join an organization that sees not even a question in the murder of children, children whom they are complete strangers to? I'll give you that religion has a big part in this, but it is hard to believe that this is simply about getting into everyone into heaven or praying to the same God. Desperate times call for desperate measures. Wait, so is there a deeper problem here? A remedial glance at history and the current state of the world can reveal a great deal. Everyone is in a different place, and some of those places are not nice and are not fair, and who are we to blame for this inequality but ourselves? There is something deeper here, listeners. So before we raise our arms in the streets declaring je suis this or that, I ask you to get out of your own head and into theirs. Think, ils sont this or that. And perhaps, eventually, nous sommes le monde. That is all the time we have for this week. As always, we'd like to hear what you have to say, so please send your opinions to awc at creighton.edu. We look forward to hearing from you. That is all we have for you this week. For more information on the Asian World Center and for more episodes of Tea Talk Asia, please visit www.creighton.edu slash Tea Talk Asia. From all of us here at the Asian World Center, we wish you a most happy today and an even better tomorrow. This has been Tea Talk Asia, looking east from west. I'm Scott Jordan. Thank you very much for listening.